are searching for a hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing filled is like tree of life. And we all have hope, we all have dreams, and we all have longings for our life. But the message today is really, what do we do when the reality doesn't match the dream? And so we have our hearts set on a dream of motherhood. And so for some of us, this might be a picture of our dream of motherhood. Of, you know, laying there with a beautiful child and everything is white and peaceful. But then we live in the reality of motherhood. And the reality of motherhood is this. You know, it's noon, you're completely crashed, the kid has his foot in your face. So we have hopes, but then we have the reality. And what we hope and imagine for our children, we have this picture of our children, this beautiful family of all the kids getting along and everything's white and beautiful and everybody's smiling. But then what we get with our children is actually something a little bit different. It's just, you know, we try to, to, we try to live up to that reality. It's just, you know, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, so your kids, they just don't turn out quite the way you expect. <laughs> and so today, we're gonna, that's what we're going to consider. We're going to consider hopes deferred and where our longings can be fulfilled. You know, through the story of a wife and a mother who seems to be the side story. Leah seems to be uh, the secondary character. She's the third wheel. Her hopes are wasted on a man who doesn't love her. But in the end, she finds hope and fulfills the hopes of the world. And so it's Genesis 29, 15 to 30 that we'll be looking at. And as we read this story for the kids, um, you'll hear echoes. If you're listening along, kids, you'll hear echoes of this story, of things that you've probably heard at this point in your life probably a dozen times or 20 times, because it's really about a prince and princesses and a king. You know, Laban is sort of a, a landowner, and he has these two princesses, Rachel and Leah, and, and this prince, Jacob, who shows up. And how is he going to get these princesses married to this prince? And it's a story that's told over and over and over again. It's just it's told by Disney now. And but they're mining the best stories in the world right here in Genesis. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance, and Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It's better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. And so Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. And Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other as well in return for serving me another seven years. And Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, and Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. 
And so Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. Let the Lord bless the reading of his word. And so in this story, what you have to understand, this account of Jacob, you know, it's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses here as he's writing down the account in Genesis of the history of Israel, this, this artful retelling in just a few sentences and just a couple of paragraphs, the writer is unfolding for us a great deal of information of what is actually going on. And we're going to focus today on Leah, but it's really a story of two very similar people, Jacob and Leah. And you have to understand at this point, Jacob is on the run from Esau, and he can't return to his family. Uh, he's run away uh, under the threats of Esau, and he has no possessions, and his plan to trick the inheritance from Isaac has failed, and he runs away to some distant relatives, this landowner, Laban, and he finds there Laban's daughter, Rachel. Beautiful, beautiful Rachel. And you can tell Jacob's state of mind is in when he talks to Laban. I mean, he's uh, asking about Rachel and if he can marry her, and, and he just, you know, he blurts out, I'll work seven years for her. And he, he's not even trying to negotiate. He's willing to do anything for Rachel. He, Jacob is just seeking after, in his, this point in his life, he's seeking after this, this affirmation of himself. Everything that he's tried has failed. He's on the run. He's broke. He's trying to recapture some glory by marrying this beautiful woman. But this sermon is not about Jacob and his midlife crisis, which is going on. It's actually about Leah. And so we're introduced to Leah, and it says Leah had weak eyes. And weak eyes is kind of a difficult translation. It doesn't mean in this context that, you know, Leah couldn't see very far, but Rachel could see a long way. Uh, it means that her, there was something wrong with her eyes. She had milky eyes, or she had cross eyes, or she had a lazy eye, or there was something disturbing about the way her eyes looked. And that she couldn't, she just wasn't as beautiful as her younger sister. And so, compared to Rachel, she was difficult. You know, Laban's thinking, how am I going to get the older sister married off? You know, she's older, but she's homely. And, and Laban didn't know what to do with her. And so, so Leah, essentially, you see what the writer has done here very skillfully. He's, he's set the tone where we understand that Leah has lived in the social shadow of her beautiful sister. And so we have this painted out for us in this story, this picture of two people, Jacob and Leah, who are both seeking affirmation in their life. Jacob seeking affirmation in marrying the most beautiful woman in the region, and Leah seeking affirmation to somehow be as valuable and as noticed as her younger sister. They're both desperate for self-realization. They're desperate for redemption. They've had their hopes pinned on someone, Jacob on Rachel and Leah on Jacob, and, and Leah on the idea of a husband who will love her more than the other men love her sister. And so at this point, when you think about Jacob and Leah, we have to ask ourselves, when are we like Leah? You know, women especially, as a result of our upbringing, 
You know, are you like Leah, having lived in the shadow of a sister? Or maybe lived in the shadow of a brother even? That it seemed you would never measure up to. You were never going to be as talented, as skillful, as beautiful, as articulate, as extroverted, whatever, as your sibling. And you've always lived in that shadow. Maybe not intentionally, in a demeaning way, but just as a matter of fact. That they were just always better than you at everything. And it was sort of a constant message, like it was a constant message to Leah that Rachel was the more beautiful. Rachel had the beautiful face. She had the beautiful figure. All the men desired Rachel. And Leah lived in her shadow. And so the message that's there over our childhood that can build up is a desire to be redeemed, to be rescued, to finally, after all these years, be the one who gets the attention, to be the one who is noticed by someone. And that settles in our hearts, this sense that we, our hope is found in someone that will love us more than the person that we've grown up with, our brother or our sister. And so it's easy to be like Leah and build a false savior for ourselves, a knight in shining armor or Mr. Right who's going to come along and sweep us off our feet and we'll live heavily, happily ever after. You know, or perhaps it's growing up in the shadow of parental expectations, living up to what your parents hoped for you or what, what they, having the life that your parents hoped they would have for you. And so you think, if I can just measure up to what my parents expected of me, if I could just be the, the older sister or the whatever, to live up to what, you know, my parents wanted, then I would be happy. You know, or it could be the result of our culture. Maybe we're made like Leah because of cultural expectations, you know, that we're on Leah. The older sister, she was to be married first. She was to bear sons. She was to be the good wife. I mean, you know, we don't live in a culture where there's any expectations on women today, right? I mean, you know, certainly not. We are in an enlightened society now. You know, it's, it's beyond the time when, you know, the potential success of a woman, the whole direction of her life, you know, might go is influenced by her physical beauty. You know, we don't have that today, do we, women? No, not at all. You know, there's no cultural pressure on women to be Rachel. You know, some people say the Bible's irrelevant to our modern culture, that it can't speak to us today. But give us a break. This story is as relevant as it gets to women and men, for that matter. You know, do you think there's not a thousand Jacobs out there? Men with broken dreams who are chasing after skin-deep trophies? We could have a whole other sermon just on Jacob and the midlife crisis he's going through. But, but it's, about, it's about Leah today, and it's about women. But whether it's siblings, whether it's parents, whether it's culture, right? Living in the shadow of her beautiful sister, under the expectations of her father, the pressure of the culture around her, here is what it creates in Leah. All those years steeped in that environment, it creates in Leah, it creates in us a sense that our hope lies in meeting those expectations. Whether it's family, culture, to be beautiful, to have it all together, the perfect family, the perfect job, you know, the career on top of everything else, our salvation, our redemption, our hope to be a fully acceptable person is found in achieving what everybody else is demanding of us. And so our hope, our hope ends up being in our beauty, and our hope ends up being in our spouse, and our hope ends up being in our children, and our home, and our family, and our career success on top of all of that. And we can get in this trap where we tell ourselves, my joy is complete when my faithful husband loves me and my kids are polite and we have it all together and my life will be good when I pull off super mom and have a career on the side and then I will be content and happy. And that's where Leah's at. Leah desires fulfillment in Jacob and in her family. Leah wants to bear Jacob's sons and she wants to be the only beautiful woman in Jacob's eyes. 
And if you look back in verse 31 and following, you see how this plays out for Leah, right? And we read here and we see the naming of her children and the significance of those children's names. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated or set against, he opened up her womb, but Rachel was barren and Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben, for she said, behold, the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. And so the Lord saw that Leah was set against, nobody was on Leah's team, Jacob loved Rachel, and Leah was only a means to an end, so she bears this son and she names him Reuben, which means to see or to look. And she's saying, now Jacob will notice me, now I will be looked at, now I will get the attention because I've become the wife, the first married, I've borne him a son, which is what I was supposed to do, now Jacob is going to look at me. She just wants to be noticed, to be affirmed. But that doesn't work. And she conceives another son, and she says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he's given me this son also, and she named him Simeon. And Simeon sounds like the Hebrew word to hear. And so Leah is saying, okay, now I'm going to be heard. Now I'm going to have a voice. Now I will be listened to. Now my husband will hear me. But it doesn't work. And again she conceived a son, and she said, and this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons, and therefore his name was Levi. And Levi is a name that in the Hebrew sounds like the word attached or joined. And so three sons, Jacob will finally be attached to me. He's not going to be attached to Rachel anymore. He's going to join with me. He's going to give up on barren Rachel and he's going to bind himself to me. And I will have accomplished what I'm supposed to as a woman. And so you can see as the names that she's chosen, and it's such a short story, but, but Moses, as he, as he makes the account, this historical account of what's going on, he's so skillfully introduced to us the characteristic of Jacob and the characteristic of Leah, and we can see the desperation in Leah. She is the older sister, but she can't measure up to her beautiful younger sister. There's this expectation that she'd be married and have sons, and she's accomplishing all of that, but Jacob still loves Rachel. And so she's naming these sons, and in her naming of the sons, you see the desperate cry of her heart, which is just to be noticed, just to be fulfilled in her husband and in her family. But Leah is worse off than if she had never married because the one person that she is looking to redeem her to make meaning of her life is in the arms of her sister, the one who created that desire in her in the first place. And so before we move on to the ending, the first application here is this, the idea of the heart-sick reality of hope deferred. Notice that Jacob was disappointed that it was Leah. So this is just sort of a general understanding that we have to come to as men and women, women in this life. And, and you have to understand that the message of Genesis and the message of, of the five books of the law, actually, but the message of Genesis is really the importance of living by faith in God. And so over and over and over again, these stories in the Old Testament teach us that faith in anything else other than faith in God is a disappointment. And so this first application is the heart-sick reality of hope deferred. Jacob was disappointed that it was Leah. In verse 24, it says, And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. So Jacob went to bed thinking, I finally have the one. I finally have this beautiful wife. I have the one thing that I desired. And he wakes up and he realizes, it's not. It's Leah. But it's really the same story for Leah as well. She got the husband her sister was supposed to have. And she bore him sons. And she had the husband and the family. And everything was supposed to be good. But she's disappointed year after year, child after child. Her marriage isn't saving her. Her children are not fulfilling her longing. And so both Jacob and Leah are disappointed. It's the heart-sick reality of hope deferred. 
Both of their hearts are set on being satisfied on things that ultimately fail them. And if we do this, if we set our hearts on a woman or we set our hearts on a man or a family or ideal kids or a job or money, if we set our hearts on anything, if we could just get that one thing, we would be satisfied. And you can think about what that is for you this morning. What is that one thing that you're just holding back in your heart and you're just thinking, if I could just get that one thing, then I would be happy. If I could just hold on to that one thing, I would be satisfied. But then in the morning, we finally get it. And in the morning, when we wake up, this is the lesson of life. In the morning, it's always Leah. Right? In the morning, it's always Jacob. It's always disappointment. You, you strive for that thing and then you realize, like Leah, that it wasn't what you expected. You know, it's like those pictures. You strive for that perfect picture of you and the kids and the family. But in the morning, it's always, you know, the kid with his foot in your face and the kids crying and crawling all over each other. Hope deferred is a heartsick reality. And you can run to the next wife, or you can go to the next husband, and you can keep having more children, or you can keep getting promoted to a better job, or you can keep getting more money, but in the morning, it's always Leah. It's never what you hoped for in the morning. You wake up one day and you realize disappointment. Or you can go another route and you can harden yourself to disappointment and maybe this is what some people have done and you just figure you're going to protect yourself by not expecting anything out of life. I'm just going to harden my heart. Life is always a disappointment. I'm just going to harden up and eventually it all turns to bitterness. Any way you choose to cope with the disappointment of life, of the fact that it's always Leah in the morning, it fails because they deny the reality that the ultimate love you're seeking the ultimate redemption you need, the ultimate joy that you seek, the ultimate longing that you need fulfilled is not found in anyone or anything on this earth. It's found in God alone through Jesus. It's not found in the shallow thrills of a beautiful trophy wife, of money and fast living. But notice this also too. This is important. Notice that it's also not found in what we think of as good, stable things like traditional family values. You know, that satisfaction isn't found in a husband and kids and a nice suburban home and a good job. Anything, even a good thing in life that you pin your hopes on as an ultimate thing that isn't God, in the morning will always be Leah. We want them to save us, but they are false functional saviors. They function in our life to save us, but in the end they let us down. They never redeem us. So what is the hope? What is the hope? The childbearing and the yearning after Jacob, it goes on for Leah for several years until something changes in Leah. She bears one more child. In verse 35 it says, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. And therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. And Judah, the name Judah means praise. It sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. And so this first application is, in the morning, it's always Leah. Pinning our hopes on the things of the world will always disappoint. But a longing fulfilled is like a tree of life. Application number two. When that longing is properly placed on the proper object, it's like a tree of life. And so what happened? God does something for Leah. Leah is in the grip of her desire for her husband, but she's also calling out to God. Notice that. She's naming these children saying, finally my husband, my husband, my husband. But she's calling out to God. And if you read there, the interesting thing is she doesn't say Elohim, which is how most people would refer to God at this point. 
Right? Elohim, just the generic, you know, God help me, God save me in this situation. When she is praying here, the word that is being used here, when she is praying to God, she says Yahweh or Jehovah, the covenant name of God. And so Leah, this is important, Leah is crying out to God, but she has learned, probably through Jacob over these years, she's learned about God as a covenant God, the covenant God of Israel, the God who is to redeem and who is to save. And then finally, on the fourth child, after three kids, after three or four years of having these children, as she's crying out to God, and she's in the grip of her desire for her husband, finally she cries out to God and she says, this time I will praise the Lord. And so God has done something in Leah. This time his name is praise, and there is no mention of her husband. Leah is set free from this bondage to the desire for her husband, and she says, this time I'm going to praise the Lord, and she stops having children. It says right in the next verse, and she doesn't bear any more children. Leah says, I've got a different hope now. Everything's changed in this verse for Leah. Now her praise is to God. Now she's no longer pursuing Jacob. Now she's no longer pursuing bearing sons and you know filling out the perfect expectation of the you know Middle Eastern third century BC wife. You know she is focused on Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant God, and praising Him. And Leah finally has her life back and her joy and her passion. She was held captive by her pursuit of Jacob and children and her parental and cultural expectations as her salvation. And she finally took all those expectations and set them aside and was no longer trapped in her longing after saviors that couldn't save her. And when she turned to Yahweh, to the Lord, and praised him and put her hope in him, she set free from that rat race of trying to find meanings in things that ultimately disappoint. And she no longer had to drink a dry cisterns because she had found living water and then you compare that to where her younger sister Rachel is at now in the story in the first verse of chapter 30 you go on to the very next verse in chapter 30 and look at what Rachel says when Rachel saw that she could not give Jacob children she became jealous of her and she said to Jacob give me children or I will die that's where Rachel's at Leah has graduated she's found God. She's found the covenant savior who will fulfill her longing. And poor beautiful Rachel is stuck. Yeah. Amen. Applause. That's right. But poor beautiful Rachel, she's at Jacob. She's still stuck. She's give me children or I'm going to die. And so the one that had it all together is trapped where Leah was trapped. It's a terribly sad verse. But the writer has juxtaposed these two women at this point, the older one having discovered peace in her longings fulfilled by Jehovah, by the Lord covenant God, and the younger, the beautiful one who thought she had the world by the tail, is now crushed by her inability to bear children. She can't measure up to the expectations. And Leah doesn't really know. I mean, maybe at some level she knows what God is doing for her through Judah, but, but, but Moses knows. Moses knows as he's writing down this, this, this account of what happened. That he knows that as he writes this story, what God has done in Leah, but also what God is doing through Leah. Because he knows the prophecy that's coming at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 49, that this baby boy that she names praise, this baby boy Judah, he is the head of the tribe of the family through whom David and finally King Jesus is going to come. Don't you hear in here just the, like the echoes of Ruth when we were doing Ruth? Right? 
So Leah doesn't understand this. Leah doesn't know what's happening. Moses knows. But Judah, the one that she finally, after she gives up on her longing after the things of the family and of the world, and she turns her longing to Christ, or to God, through Christ, then Judah is going to be the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. That God is working through Leah. Now look at what God is doing here. You gotta see this. This is how our God works. You have to understand this. God looks down on two women. One that everyone wanted, and one that nobody wanted. And God looks down on these two women, Rachel and Leah, and he says to the unloved one, he says to the unlovely woman, you're going to be the grandmother of Jesus. Not the beautiful one, not the one that has it all together, but to the unloved one. And so in verse 31, when it says that the Lord saw that Leah was hated, it says when God saw that Leah was unloved, God loved her. God is her true husband. Jesus is the bridegroom. And so Leah is pursuing Jacob as if her husband and her hope is in Jacob and it's God who loves Leah. Far superior than being loved by Jacob. And so women, here's a little application for you. Give your poor Jacobs a break. Ernest Becker wrote this great book in 1974, The Denial of Death, and he deals with all of these different issues all of these different issues of our longing and our hope for salvation in our life. And he's writing about human relationships, and he has this quote by Ernest Becker. He says, No human relationship can bear the burden of Godhood. However much we may idealize and idolize him, he inevitably reflects earthly decay and imperfection. After all, what is it that we want when we elevate the love partner to the position of God? We want redemption and nothing less. We want to be rid of our faults, our feeling of nothingness. We want to be justified, to know that our creation has not been in vain. We turn to our partner for the experience of the heroic, for perfect validation. We expect them to make us good through love. Needless to say, human partners can't do this. So what am I saying? Get rid of your husband? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we can't put the burden on human relationships that only God can fulfill. And my wife, Wendy, learned a long time ago that I will fail her. And all the strength in our marriage is owed to one thing alone, that Wendy loves God more than me. And Wendy depends on God to meet her hopes. And it sounds a bit unromantic, but it's liberating. And it's freeing to know that our hope and our joy and our marriage is rooted in God and not rooted in ourselves. Right? And that's what Leah learned. You know, or you can look at history this way. Leah is a picture for us of how God is going to save the world. Jesus fulfills the requirements for us, not our husband, not us. God is not expecting us to measure up to his virtues. If you realize you are weak and you can't measure up and that you need Jesus to love you in your failure, then the gospel will, fa will save you. That's what Leah realized. Leah realized that it was not up to her to measure up to expectations. It was only up to her to turn to the covenant God to save her. And if you think that you can measure up to the virtues of God and you can meet some sort of expectation, then the gospel is no help to you. But if you realize that you cannot meet up the expectations, you can never measure up to God's virtue, then the gospel will save you. You need to know that the gospel embraces Leah's. Gospel embraces people who know they are weak and that they can't match the virtue of God, but they put their hope in Jesus to redeem them.
And so today, some of you have been rejected by some person who you thought was going to make it all okay. You know, some man rejected you, or for guys, some woman rejected you, and you had your hopes pinned in that relationship, and you thought that relationship was going to fix your life, and they rejected you. Jesus knows what it's like to come into the world and get rejected. Jesus knows all about rejection, and he won't reject you. Or maybe you're married, or you're not married, and you want to be married, and it's a good thing to want to be married, young women. It is a good thing to want a husband, but don't pin the hopes of your salvation and your redemption on that marriage. No marriage can bear that burden. Or maybe you're in a bad marriage and you hate the fact that you're in a bad marriage and you want to make it good and it's good to want your marriage to be better, but in the process of saving your marriage, you think you're saving yourself. You're not. Again, marriage cannot bear the burden. You're putting too much weight on your marriage. Any marriage, any human will break trying to bear the weight of what you need to be placing on God. And so as mothers and fathers this morning, as husbands and wives, we have to look for our salvation in God first. Not in our husbands, not in our children, not in our marriage, not in the perfect suburban picture of family, not in our careers, not in anything else but God. Or maybe you feel ugly, not just physically ugly, but you feel ugly in any way then Jesus, too, is a person who's acquainted with grief, who is weak and homely. Isaiah 53, 2 said, There was no beauty in Jesus that we should desire him. He was just your run-of-the-mill average Joe. You go to the movies, you saw the Son of God, they have this Hollywood actor playing Jesus, and he's like Brad Pitt, right? (laughs) That wasn't Jesus. Jesus looked more like me, not Brad Pitt. (laughs) except maybe a little more Jewish looking. But Jesus is a man who was weak in his manhood. Isaiah says there was no beauty in him that we should desire him. And so if you feel ugly physically or in any other way, Jesus knows what that's like. You may look like Leah, but to God you always look like Rachel because Jesus gives us his righteousness. So remember what Leah's biggest desire was. Leah's biggest desire was to be noticed and cared for by Jacob, that she would be redeemed by her family, that she would measure up to the expectations of womanhood and career and everything that she was expected to be. But all of our desires cannot be pinned on that. Leah was saved only when she realized that she could praise God, Yahweh, the covenant God. Our hopes and our dreams cannot be on things of this world. Those saviors will ultimately fail us. But the covenant God, Jehovah, will never fail us. And so we need to be seeking after, not a prince or a princess in this world, but seeking after the affection and the love and the attention of God, to be loved by God and to seek after him. Let's pray. Father God, we just give you thanks for your word. I thank you for this record of Leah and her children and her striving after the things of this world and Jacob, a husband who would not give her the attention, her striving after a family that would not ultimately fulfill her, that dreams unfulfilled are a heartbreak. But when her longing turned to you, it was a fulfilling joy. And so, Father, I just pray that for each and every mother here, every woman here, and every man as well, 
that we would stop like Jacob and Leah trying to pin our hopes on things of this world and turn to you in praise and seek after your glory and seek after your attention. That in you we would find our Savior. In you we would find our redemption. In you we would find our longings fulfilled and not chase after them in any other place but where you've designed us to find them. In you, through Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You did just fine with that one, Paul. Any message that draws us and points us closer to God can never be wrong. And so we're going to sing about that. Please stand with us.